Listen, we are going to finish up chapter 9 of Matthew today, and so we are going to read quite a bit here in just a moment, but as, we, as you turn to chapter 9 of Matthew, uh, I just want to say, as you walk into the foyer of our church, the, the first three words that you see are from this beautiful sign that Jim Ramsey made us, and those three words uh, is family, servant, missionary. Have you seen that sign? Okay. Like, no, I haven't. Well, look at it. Jim spent a lot of time making that for us a couple years ago. Family, servant, missionary. And the reason for that, the reason why we have that first thing as you walk in the room is because a few years ago, um, as a church, we just sold out the rest of our lives learning how to better live within our gospel identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus tells us in Luke 9 that if any of us wants to follow him, if any of us wants to be his disciple, there's three conditions there. If you go to a church and say there's no conditions, they're just wrong because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must, number one, deny yourself. Number two, pick up your cross daily. And number three, this seems obvious, but come on, you know the church, and you must follow me. (laughs) You can't say you're a follower unless you follow me. Now, we understand the denying ourselves, at least in theory, right? Not always good at practicing, but at least in theory, we understand what it looks like to deny our flesh, to deny ourselves, okay? And we understand to be a follower of Jesus, you must emulate Jesus. But what does it look like for us to pick up our cross daily? Jesus wasn't asking us to physically carry around a cross or wear a cross necklace, okay, everywhere we go. So what does picking up our cross mean? Because it's crucial. Because Jesus says it's not a one-time pickup. It's a daily pick up your cross. Well, let me remind you of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. He says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. That's why when we baptize people, when we bring the tub and we set it up right here, which uh, free advertising, we're going to be doing a baptism before long, so if you need to be baptized, please get with us. But that's why when we baptize people and we take them under the water, we say, down with the old, that's the denying of ourselves, that's the dying to our old selves, and up with the... Yeah, but what's the new? That's the question, right? And the answer is, the new is our brand new identity in Jesus Christ. And that is our daily cross. It's a daily identification. Paul goes on to say in Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
We call this new identity around here, at least, our gospel identity. Because Jesus tells us that when we make disciples, we are to baptize them into the name of the Father, name of the Son, and name of the Holy Spirit. So not only are we getting a new identity, we are getting a new name. Jesus, first of all, says you are immersed into the name of your heavenly Father. Do you know this, that Paul says in Ephesians chapter one that even before God made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. Listen to this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. First John, John says this in First John 3, 1. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. I love Paul in 2 Corinthians 6, 18. He says, God says that he will be our Father, and we will be his sons and daughters. So our gospel identity gives us family status. We're sons and daughters of God. We're children of God, we are the family of God. Second of all, Jesus says that we are immersed into the name of Jesus. Do you know Matthew goes on, we'll get there eventually in Matthew chapter 20, in verse 28, Matthew says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Paul says in Philippians five, or Philippians two, verse five, that we are to have the same mind as Christ. And he goes on to say what that looks like. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave or a servant and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself and obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. You see, Jesus refused to grasp the authority that was rightfully his, so that we who continue to selfishly grasp for authority that is not ours can be forgiven. He goes on to say, John actually says this in John 12, 26, anyone who wants to serve me, Jesus, right? Jesus says, anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. So our gospel identity makes us not just family of God, but makes us servants to Jesus. Lastly, Jesus says that we are immersed into the name of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter eight, Paul says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit that's living within you. Acts, right? Acts 1.8. And when you receive this power, when you receive the spirit, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere from Jerusalem to DeSoto. Wow. So our gospel identity not only makes us family, not only makes us servant, but makes us witnesses or missionaries of Jesus. This is who we now are in and through Jesus Christ. And not only are we given a brand new life in Christ with a new name and a new identity, he is still at work in us, changing us more and more into the glorious image of his son, Jesus. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. But here's, here's, here's a thought as we 
get to Matthew chapter 9. God, he's going to put it on the screen. God loves us just the way we are. But he loves us too much to leave us where we are. See, God changes us by teaching and empowering us on how to better live as Jesus lived through our gospel identity. So anytime we read God's word, like we're going to do in a moment, we should read it through the lens of our new name, our new identity as disciples or followers of Jesus. So today we are going to pick up the story in verse 18 of chapter 9. And I want to read, it's, it's a, quite a bit of scripture here. And I want to read the remainder of this chapter together without much interruption, meaning I'm not going to stop a lot to do any kind of commentary because I don't want us to miss the rhythm of the interactions of Jesus' day. I think it's important here. Because one of the first things, in fact, I would argue one of the hardest things that we must acknowledge as Jesus followers, I said acknowledge, don't always practice. People are not interruptions. Just let that set for a moment. Every day of our lives are interrupted by people. And just because the interruption wasn't on your planner doesn't mean it wasn't on God's. And perhaps the interruption to your day is really a God interruption to bring you to a gospel interaction with someone who needs Jesus. How many opportunities? I can't even preach at you right now. How many gospel opportunities have I missed because I saw people as an interruption? So I wasn't focused on what the Spirit wanted to do through me in that moment. I was just focused on how I could get going because I was busy and I missed it. Verse 18, as Jesus was saying this, okay, I'm gonna stop here for a moment because what is Jesus saying? If, if you remember last week, Jesus was in the, the middle of being asked the question, why don't you and your disciples fast like John and his disciples or, or like the Pharisees? Why don't you fast more like the religious people? And Jesus gave two illustrations. Uh, one saying you don't take new fabric and sew it onto old garments and you don't take new wine and put it into old wineskins, which was the most Jesus-like way of telling his audience that he hadn't come to just fill some holes in an old religious system, but rather he was here to introduce a brand new covenant between God and his people. And that's the conversation that's going on. As Jesus was saying this, the leader of the synagogue came and knelt before him. My daughter has just died, he said. Notice the interruption. But you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Interaction. Just then a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind him. She touched the fringe of his robe for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed interruption. Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed at that moment, interaction. 
When Jesus arrived at the official's home, he saw the noisy crowd and he heard the funeral music. Get out, he told them. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. And the crowd laughed at him. Interruption. But after the crowd was put outside, Jesus went in and he took the girl by the hand and she stood up. And the report of this miracle swept through the entire countryside interaction. And then after Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him shouting, son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying. Interruption, perhaps trespassing. (laughs) And Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were open and they could see interaction. And Jesus sternly warned them. I don't know why he wasted his time doing this often because it never worked. He warns them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead they went out and they spread his fame all over the region. Happened every time. I'm not sure Jesus ever said, be quiet. And somebody like, okay. And they actually stayed quiet. They're like, no, I, I'm not, I can see. I gotta go tell people what you've done. Then they left. And immediately here comes this demon-possessed man who couldn't speak. He was brought to Jesus. Again, interruption. So Jesus cast out the demon and then the man began to speak, interaction. And the crowds were amazed. Nothing like this had ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. But the Pharisees said, of course they did. He can cast out demons because he is empowered by the prince of demons. It's interesting here that someone is always trying to discredit or excuse away God's work. And we've gotta be careful because sometimes it's us. Verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about his kingdom, interaction, because that's why he was here. Jesus was here to introduce a brand new covenant, a brand new way, a new kingdom breaking in. And he's interacting. And then it says he also healed every kind of disease and illness. So they just kept coming, just interruption after interruption after interruption. And healing after healing after healing. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused. And they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. Give us hearts to receive it and obey it. We may leave here this morning better living as you have lived. In Jesus' name, amen. It's obvious when you just read the story without stopping a lot. It's obvious that this passage is full of interruptions, things that Jesus didn't probably necessarily wake up. And I'm not arguing the sovereignty here, God God knowing they were coming. I'm just saying at least, okay, from the disciples' point of view, they had an agenda for the day. They had places they had to get to. They had synagogues they had to preach in and teach in. And yet, interruption after interruption. And and here's the beauty of this. Jesus, we see this here. Jesus did not see these distractions, or he didn't see these these 
opportunities as distractions. He saw them as opportunities. And as a result, people's lives were drastically changed. Dead came to life. Sick were healed. Blind could see. Demon-possessed people were set free. And what if Jesus would have done what we so often do? Well, I wish I could help, but I'm in a hurry. I wish I could do something more for you, but I have to keep going because I have plans. But I'll pray for you. Have you checked with First Baptist? Have you checked with another church in town? It's easy. It would be easy for us to, to read these stories and then just kind of keep going, just dismiss them and move on. But what if these stories aren't so different from our stories? In 2022. For example, you have, you have the story of Jairus' daughter. Now, Matthew doesn't give us the name of the synagogue leader, but Mark and Luke, when they tell this story, they do. It's Jairus' daughter, so that might connect some dots. You probably have heard of, of Jairus. And here's Jairus. He's a, he is a synagogue leader, which means he's a, he's a man that's used to being in control and in charge because as a synagogue leader, Jairus would have been an administrator who kind of supervised over all the activities of the synagogue with some authority. But now his daughter is sick. No amount of synagogue authority can make her well. I'm sure he used every resource at his disposal, the best doctors, the best medicines of his times, but nothing seemed to help. He tried everything. At least it seemed like he tried everything except Jesus up to that point. And nothing worked. And then she dies. I don't want us to miss that. I don't want us to read too much into this. But I also don't want us to miss that Jairus only comes to Jesus after his daughter has died. Perhaps we know people around us who are, being, who are used to being in charge and yet they're dealing with something out of their control. And they're looking for answers everywhere except Jesus. With every resource available, they're trying, but things seem to be just getting worse rather than better. And here's my question. What if we ask God for an interaction? We have a second story of a woman who had this blood issue. Constant, that's the word that jumped out. Constant bleeding for 12 years. Years. Can you imagine having an issue that limits you every day for years? Well, some of you can. Now imagine that issue making you unclean in your society. Imagine because you are deemed unclean, you no longer can function in normal everyday life. You can't be around the public because you are unclean. There are times that you have to isolate how desperate do you have to get to think that if you could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment as he walks by? You're willing to break all kinds of protocols so that the unclean can touch the hem of the one that is perfectly clean. Maybe you know people who have been sick or maybe you know people that have been broken for so long that they're willing to risk anything and everything for hope of some kind of normalcy. Is it, is it possible that there are people around us every day that are in a place, that are in this kind of place physically or emotionally or mentally? They need hope. 
They need us to see them as more than just an interruption. They need a gospel interaction. You have a third story of, of these blind men. We don't know their names or much of their stories, but we do know their disability. They're, they're blind, they can't see, and they, they've heard that, that Jesus can heal and that Jesus bestows mercy and miraculous things happen. And, and of course, mercy in their mind means sight. So they follow him and they're crying out to him, unwilling to let him ignore them. They go through a closed door to be where Jesus is so that Jesus can do something that only he can do. And he does show them mercy and they are given sight. Do you know anyone that maybe not verbally, but with their life, they're, they're begging for mercy? They're looking for Forgiveness, Jillian. Longing for healing, longing for contentment. Know anybody that is spiritually blind that needs to have God remove the veil from their eyes so they can see Jesus? These are the people that are most likely to become obnoxious to us because they always seem to be around and they seem to be needy. What if they're around because on God's planner, he has an interaction scheduled between you and them so that they can hear about this hope, so they can hear about the only one that can bestow mercy. And then we have a demon-possessed man, unable to speak because a demon had his tongue I wonder how many people we know are limited in their physical capabilities because they're oppressed by demonic forces. What if people who are in a cycle of oppression stopped being an interruption to our lives? This is probably the most convicting for me because what I say in my head, well, they're always gonna be this way. We've helped them before and nothing seems to change. Men and women oppressed by addictions and we don't have time to deal with it because they, they take advantage of us. And come on, let's just be honest, they consume our time and they consume our energy. It's not a one-time fix. I remember our small group years, years ago uh, tried pulling a homeless family out of, out of the woods. They were living in the woods in the winter and, and, and I'm t sharing the story because this is, so easy to let things like this make you hard, hearted. They're freezing, they're druggies. So we bring them out, our, there's what, family, there's like five of us in the family and we just, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna get them a place to stay and we're going to, we, we bought them a car. They didn't have, okay, I don't have time for this whole, the reason why they didn't have a car is because they didn't have licenses because they had done all this illegal stuff, but we're learning as we're going. We're like, we're trying to love them like Jesus. We pull them out of the woods. We, we, we bring them to the church. We have a sit down with them. We're like, we're willing to do whatever it takes. We'll get you into shelters. We'll get you, we put them in the motel room. They set the motel room on fire. The owner of the motel calls me and goes, um, they set the bed on fire. I'm like, I don't know what to do with them. Kick them out. I, I, I don't know. We, we try to take them to the shelter. They got mad because they didn't want to go to the shelter because the shelter makes you look for a job and, and all all this time we're trying to love them and they're just pushing against it. And I'm like, just like, go back to the woods if that's where you want to be. I, I don't know what else to do. They consumed our, we bought them a car. 
And then we sold the car because we realized none of them can get a driver's license. For peace sake. And they consume your energy and you just get to the point it's easier just to shut the door and ignore them. Interruptions, for sure. But what if they are godly interruptions because God wants to interact with them through us? Can I make a few observations about our story? And then really specifically, I want to make three observations and one quick application. First, I want us to notice that in half of these stories, the interaction leads to faith conversations. Verse 22, Jesus turned around when he saw her. He said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well. Verses 24 through 26, Jesus says, get out. The girl isn't dead. She's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. Jesus here is not necessarily speaking into their, how much faith they have. He's speaking into their unbelief. Get out. She's just sleeping. And they laugh. And then he makes them leave and Brings her to life. Verse 29, he touched their eyes, the blind men's eyes, and he says, because of your faith, you were healed. We don't have any record of this conversation between Jesus and the demon-possessed man, but I assure you, the moment he could speak, I guarantee you, him and Jesus had some conversation, and it had to do with faith. The goal, I've said this before, I don't want to oversay it, but the goal is never physical healing. I've said that a lot in Matthew because there's been a lot of physical healing. And when you read over and over and over of all the people Jesus healed, you're like, why isn't he doing that now to to the people we love that we pray for every day that he would heal from this, this disease, this illness? But the goal is never physical healing because death eventually gets us all. I've said that, right? Everybody Jesus healed here eventually died and they didn't come back to life. The goal is always spiritual healing. So we must always be asking the Spirit to turn our conversations with people to Jesus. It's not easy when you're trying to have a conversation at a restaurant and you have a waitress that just keeps interrupting And then we ask to pray with her. And then we try to have a conversation and she keeps interrupting by saying, I used to go to church. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know this wasn't, the plan was me and you to talk. But maybe, just maybe, God's got other plans here. And so we have her name and we're praying for her and we're gonna pray for more opportunities to talk. Jesus was the master at turning natural conversations into spiritual ones. How in the world do you show up at a well to talk to a woman who is the town pass around and you ask her for water and before that conversation is over, she's back in the village evangelizing them saying, you've got to come here, the one that can take away our sins. And the whole village is coming out to me. It started with, can I have a glass of water? And then he introduced himself as the living water. And lives were changed that day. 
The second observation I wanna make is no matter how skilled we are in transitioning from natural to supernatural conversations, we won't do it until we feel the brokenness of the people around us. In verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the people, he had what? He had compassion on them. We will never be good at this servant missionary thing until we see people the way God sees people. I'm telling you, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I sit in the office and the pastor said, Rick, you have a compassion problem for people. I'm like, I know, I'm hard on people. Like you get one slip up. If you slip up again, you're like, what's wrong with you? And I told Miss the other night we had dinner. I'm like, hey, I was talking about how sometimes I'm hard on my kids, but I'm, that's, to be fair, I'm hard on myself too. When I mess up, I'm an idiot, I'm a moron, I'm a loser. Why can't I get this right? Why just, why keep trying, right? May we see, by the way, there's not a three-step sermon that gets us to compassion. You know how we get compassion? We have to ask Jesus for it. It's okay, it's all right. It's all right for you to say, I don't see I'm not patient with people. I'm not considerate towards people. I'm not compassionate. It's okay. Admit that. God loves you just right where you are. But he loves you too much to leave you where you are. So he wants to give you compassion. And so we have to pray that God give us his heart. If we're gonna be a church that serves and declares Jesus unlike anyone else, it will only happen when we have God's heart for his people. And we only get that by the Spirit. May we pray for it. We can't whip that up. That's what I got in my, I don't know why I wrote that. We can't whip that up. We must pray for God to give us his heart for his people. And we will only do that when we take seriously our, our identity as a family of servant missionaries. The thought, third observation is this. I want, us to, I want us to see that Jesus acknowledges the greatness of the harvest and the lack of the workers in the field. Let's be honest. The mission is, is pretty overwhelming at times. There are so many not yet believers around us and there's no visible hurry on their part to become believers. It, and to be just quite honest, it's pretty defeating enough just trying to keep the present field workers motivated and available. Like forget recruiting new ones, we're just trying to keep you in the field. You keep trying to run off <laughs> like sheep without a shepherd. The harvest is great, Jesus said, but the workers are few. The harvest here is the mission of God seeking and saving lost souls. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So, so what do we do? Well, we do the one thing that we all would probably assume that Jesus would tell us to do if he was here. You see it in verse 38. So pray to the Lord. Of course, that's what Jesus is going to tell us to do. Pray, right? But why are we praying to the Lord? Because he, goes on to say, is in charge of the harvest. 
So we pray to the Lord because he's in charge of the harvest. Jesus says, pray to the only one that has control over the harvest. That makes sense, right? However, notice Jesus asks us to pray, or how Jesus asks us to pray to the God of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. God's answer to the greatness of the harvest is to send more servants empowered by the Spirit into the fields, displaying and declaring the good news of Jesus. Wouldn't it be easier just to pray, God, save the harvest? <laughs> like if you could touch eyes and give them sight, if you, can, if you can touch the hand of the dead and bring them to life. But God chooses workers into the fields, displaying and declaring the gospel. He says, pray that God sends more workers into the fields. And we can pray for God to save the harvest, but God is calling us to the harvest, to point to the Savior, and then to make more disciples so they can be sent into the fields to point the harvest to the Savior. And over and over and over it goes, but, but that will never happen until we wake up every morning believing that we, that we are the family of God. That before the foundations of the world, God ch chose and loves me. That before I ever breathe one breath of air, God through his son, was adopting me into his family. And that because of who we are in Jesus Christ, now we are to be what he was. And he didn't come as a king to reign. He came as a king to serve. And empowered by the same spirit that empowered Jesus. We are to make much of Jesus by witnessing of him in word. Every morning I am trying to get into this practice to say, I am a son, I am a servant, and I am a sent one. I'm sorry, I like, I'm glad I'm a man because they all start with S. You women are a little off, right? I'm a daughter, I'm a servant, I'm a sent one. Start your morning before you start worrying about life. I'm a son. I'm a servant, I'm a sent one. And what if we began to see every moment as a possible God interruption to our day? Because I promise you, after this sermon, we're gonna have some interruptions. It, it never fails. Remember the time I preached on people losing their jobs? It's funny now. <laughs> We was at Herky and I preached this message about trusting God even if you lose your job and like six people lost their job that week. I'm like, all right, I'll never preach that again. Make your plans for the week and then get comfortable with God changing them so that there can be some gospel interactions, some gospel conversations some gospel opportunities for Jesus to do 
what only he can do in and through us. I've said this before, I'll say it again, and I'm about to close. The question for our disciples, the question for us disciples is not this. God, why are you doing this? The question for the disciples of Jesus is this. God, what are you doing? What if daily interruptions are just God-planned opportunities for gospel interactions? Who thinks like that? Servant missionaries think like that. So the next time your day is interrupted, ask God, what are you up to here? You wake up with a flat tire, instead of complaining like I would, say, what are you up to here? When your co-worker talks bad about you behind your back tomorrow, when your coworker gets the promotion that you deserve this week, when that kid at school talks back to you, teachers and, and men, and instead of just saying, you're an interruption, you're a problem, what if we just said, God, what are you doing here? What, what doors are you opening for me to declare and display to them who you are? Nobody thinks like that except those fully immersed in their new identity and knowing who they are in Jesus Christ. Until then, until that next interruption, Jesus, this is the application of the text, pray. And he tells us specifically what to pray for. Pray for God to give us more workers. The harvest is great. Listen to me. I'll preach to you since you're here. God did not save you to be a seat warmer. God saved you to be a field worker. We pray for God to give us more workers so we can keep sending more workers into the fields so we can keep advancing the gospel and winning souls to Jesus. That's why we're here. That's what we've given our lives to. So if you're looking for a church that's just eventually gonna be okay with you doing nothing, just checking the box, I went. I'm, I'm praying you're never comfortable here because God hasn't called us to just be here. He's called us to be here and worship together and then we leave as field workers, as his sons and his daughters, as his servants, empowered God doesn't empower you so you can endure your boss at work. God empowers you so you can go be Jesus to your boss at work. May we quit being so restless, or wasteful, I guess is what I'm trying. Don't, God help us quit being so wasteful with the empowerment that we've been given by the Holy Spirit. We limit the work that he's wanting to do in us and through us because we're too small-minded. your sons and your daughters. God looked at you and said, I want you in my family. And Jesus has served you. 
He took on the form of a servant and he served you unto his death so that you and I can now take on the form of a servant and serve him as he has served us. And we know what that looks like. We, we serve him by serving others. As I've washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. And we are empowered by the Spirit to go make much of Jesus in all that we say and do. Let's not waste that church. May we be good field workers. And may we pray that God keeps sending them our way because there's much work to do. The harvest is great. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your son because that's where the power is. God, would you help us learn, acknowledge, agree upon, embrace more and more and more of who we are in you. We're sons and daughters, we're brothers and sisters, we're your family. We don't deserve it, we did nothing to earn it. But through Jesus Christ and all that he's done on our behalf, his life, his death, his resurrection, we have family status. We're not walking out of here today as just ordinary people. We're walking out of here as sons and daughters. And we're walking out of here as servants, empowered, empowered by the Spirit to display Jesus in our community and to declare Jesus in our communities. Would you help us never get comfortable walking away from that identity? In fact, we want you to teach us more and more and more and more of how to think that way and live that way and look that way. We want this, this town to know who we are because of our works and making much of you. God, I pray that DeSoto, Missouri is made just a little bit better because of a church that saw that the harvest is great and chose to be consumed by you, to walk back out into these fields and let you do what only you can do in us and through us. If that's not where we are, God. Your grace is sufficient, but do not let us be comfortable. Do not allow us to stay complacent. Move us forward. As your gospel advances, may this church advance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Teenagers, we'll see you tonight at 6 p.m.